Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, God, Lord, through it, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would uh, Lord, give us understanding of, Lord, what the text is saying this morning. God, we pray that, um, Lord, you administer to us in such a way, Lord, and really the only way that uh, that you can, God, and no one, no one else can, Lord. And so, Lord, we just give these things all up to you, God. We pray that... Um, Lord, you just be with here, uh, be with us here now, God, and, and Lord, we love you. We thank you. Bless this time, God, as we just study your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So at this point, Jesus' ministry has come under great scrutiny from the religious leaders. In the past week, um, Andrew was saying that you guys went through chapter seven last week, and uh, but at this point in Jesus' ministry. Um, and even in, in, in the last chapter as well, we see that there's great scrutiny um, from the religious leaders, from the Pharisees here. And uh, the religious leaders, um, they really didn't like Jesus. The religious leaders tried to arrest Jesus multiple times, tried to trick him. And in John 8, we see this story where these men are bringing this woman unto Jesus to try to trick him. In verses 1 and 2 it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And at this point, at this point in the book of John, the Feast of Tabernacles had come to a close. Many people that traveled to Jerusalem for this feast would, would go home at this point. Uh, but Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley there. And if um, you've ever seen Israel, seen any landscape of Israel, it's a beautiful area. I've been to the Mount of Olives personally. Um, it's amazing. And from the Mount of Olives, you can see over the Kidron Valley, as it says there, that you can see the city of Jerusalem. So really for Jesus, it wasn't that far of a hike for him. But we see that after this feast that he goes up to the Mount of Olives... And then the next morning, so he spends the night there, and the next morning we see that Jesus comes back into the city, to the temple, where he then began to teach. And notice in verse 2, it says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. People came early in the morning to hear Jesus teach. And I love that it says early in the morning. Some of you might be thinking, why, why do you love that? Why do you love that it says early in the morning? I hate the mornings. Um, there's something about dedicating, really, there's something about dedicating the first part of your day to the word of God and to prayer. Psalm 63.1 says, or rather David, the psalmist said, early will I seek you. Psalm 63.1. Psalm 5. David says again, my voice you shall hear in the morning. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I think just from personal experience in sharing with you this morning, I can say, man, what a difference, um, really, it'll make for your day when you devote that first part of your day to prayer and the study of God's word. Um, one of the guys here um, in the group, we, we were kind of going back and forth, and he, he just kind of asked me if... Um, you know, just kind of keep him accountable with, with staying in the Word. And, and so he, he would, like, text me in the morning and be like, hey, like, hey, I've, I've read this. And it's, it's rad for me to see, like, um, someone like your age is, is doing that and someone um, is seeking the Word of God and, and wants accountability in that way. Guys, 
reading the Word of God on your own, making it your own, um, not your parents, not your families, not just something that you do Sundays and Wednesdays or just Sundays, um, whatever the day of the week that you come to church. But it's something that's personal. It's your own. Yeah, because really, you, you know, by the, the Word of God, it, it's, it's really like the, a love letter that the Lord has written to us. It's also referred to as a, as a roadmap for our lives. Man, in, in all of... Lives' questions are answered within the Word of God. But there's something about rising early in the morning and seeking the Lord first. As the, the first priority of my day is seeking Jesus and, and, and walking with Jesus, spending time in prayer, communicating with him. You think about if, if you're in a relationship, if anybody here has been in a relationship, um, I'm getting married. If you can't tell, I'm really stoked. But getting married in a couple months but if I was just to completely, um, well, I'll say it like this. You know when people say, like, man, communication is everything in a relationship. Communication, communication. It's, it's very true. Um, and really with your best friend, that's, that's what you do. You're communicating with that, that person. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a depth and there's growth that comes to that relationship. Same goes with our relationship to the Lord, man, there's, there's a depth of, of character, there's a, a depth of relationship, there's a growth that springs forth from just spending time with Jesus. If you neglect it, man, I mean, some of you know, I know myself, it, it's going to die, you know? If you, if you don't water a plant, <laughs> it's going to die. It's, I, I'm not good with plants, and so that's happened multiple times. But it's going to die. If, if you don't nurture it and water it and, and spend time um, you know, in that process of growth, man, it's, it's the, whole process, the whole thing is going to uh, fall apart and die. But the cool thing about seeking the Lord first in the morning, I know for me personally, um, honestly, when, okay, mornings compared to evenings, if, if I don't read my Bible in the morning, usually it doesn't get done. If I try to do it late at night, I just, I, I conk out. I fall asleep. I'm out. But man, if I seek Jesus first in the morning, it doesn't have to be like, <laughs> I remember my, my mom for a while, she was like, man, you just, you know, get, get to bed at 10, wake up at 4. I was like, what in the world? She was reading some book at the time, like these, these men of prayer that were like, I, I don't know who it was. It might have been D.L. Moody. Um, that like he went to bed at 10 and woke up at four every morning and then he spent like from four to six like every morning or four to seven something like that like three hours in which probably explains why he's so um why he's such a man of God really um but he committed that time to prayer and to the study of the word of God so there's something and I think it's it's so cool here that that Jesus even paints that picture and is that model for us early in the morning, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, as Matthew 6.33 says. Well, we now go from the teaching of Jesus to the testing of Jesus. Notice with me in verses 3 through 6, and let's, let's read it. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her... Uh, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders at this point, the Pharisees drug this woman. They bring this woman to Jesus and, and, and cast uh, her at his feet. And they told Jesus what she had done and also what the, what the law commanded. Then 
We see that the Pharisees here, in verses 3 through 6, that the Pharisees, they ask Jesus, well, what, what do you have to say about that? They say, here's, here's a situation, now what do you say? What's, what's your response? And for Jesus, this is a very controversial situation for him. It could, it could be one of two things, really. Um, and we notice really here that this, this is a setup by the religious leaders. This was a setup. They, they, were, they were trying to trick Jesus um, in, in order to, to get him to stumble. And Jesus knew exactly what was happening. Jesus knew exactly what was happening at this point. And I want to point out, just for, um, for those of you maybe that don't know what this is, but um, adultery. Adultery, what it is, it's, it's basically a, a sexual relationship with someone other than your spouse. That's what, that's what adultery is. It is unfaithfulness. It is a violation of the vows and covenant that you have made before God to your spouse. For those of you that are thinking about um, being married someday, um, you think about the vows that you, you make into your, your, your husband or your wife, to your spouse, um, for better or for worse, for, for sick, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor. Um, adultery is a direct violation of those vows. And so we see that the, the Pharisees then, they, in trying to trick Jesus, they, they go back in verse 5 to the book of Leviticus, uh, verse, uh, chapter 20, excuse me, uh, verse 10. And according to Leviticus, the woman and the, and the man together, they were really suppo- supposed to be put to death. And some question, where's, where's the man at this point? Where is he? What's, what's, why is he not in the picture? So again, there's this whole aspect of, well, we think that these, these men were setting Jesus up in this way. Actually, let me just read that to you. Leviticus 20, verse 10, because I think it's a key verse in what it says there. Leviticus, you don't have to turn there, but Leviticus 20, uh, verse 10, it says this. um, The man who commits adultery with another woman's wife, he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife. The adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So we see that both of them were to be put to death. we see, and we'll see later on, that the Jews, they really, they took this seriously. This was a serious crime in those times. And like we said, according to Jewish law, adultery, it was, it was serious. It was a serious crime that the, the Jews took seriously. Adultery, adultery, adultery was one of the three gravest sins that was punishable by death at that time. According to Deuteronomy, these people would be stoned to death. In Deuteronomy, that's, that's how it says that they would be put to death. History says, and history shows us, that for the male that committed this crime, it was a little bit gnarlier, a little bit more graphic. Um, it wasn't just stones that were being thrown at you. Um, basically, and again, history shows that the male would be put to death by strangulation. Um, they would be placed, the male would be placed in, in, a, in a dung heap up to their knees, and then a towel would be placed around his neck, and one man would pull one way, and then the other man would pull the other way, thus causing, um, you know, being, being strangled in that way. Um, but I say that for the fact, not to gross you out, not to freak you out, but man, just to point out the fact that these guys, they, they took it seriously. Um, the Lord commanded it, and so they followed it. Um, the Jews took sin seriously. Um, in adultery, you know, Solomon, Solomon talks about adultery. Solomon, Solomon was an interesting guy. It, we, we, we know from the word that, that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, right? He asked for wisdom. The Lord granted him wisdom. He was the wisest man that ever lived. Probably the wealthiest man that has ever 
walk the planet, um, and especially in those times. He had wealth coming from all over. The other thing, though, he, he had wives. He had many wives. He had, uh, how many was it? It was 700 wives and, I believe, 300 concubines. This guy was just like, and so for this man, in looking and knowing his sin, really, in this, he says, Solomon says in Proverbs, it, it's, adultery is basically like fire in someone's stomach. In a man's bosom is what he says there in Proverbs. He also says that it's, adultery is like walking barefoot over hot coals. He also says that in Proverbs 6.32 that adultery, it lacks judgment and destroys a man. Not adultery, but rather the man that is involved in this, he, he lacks judgment and destroys himself. And the man that is involved with this, or the woman that is involved with this, they are reduced to a crust of bread, is what Solomon says. Really, a lot of these things have to do with fire. You know, if, if, you, if you've ever played with fire or played with, like, lighter fluid, um, I don't know, maybe that's just for us guys. Maybe some of you girls do that. But, man, you know, eventually, at some point, you're going to get burned, you know, whether you like it or not, depending on how close you are to it and, and all of that. And so I think it's very interesting in how Solomon paints that picture um, for us here. He says, fire in someone's stomach, walking barefoot over hot coals. Um, and basically, what it does, it just... In, in this context, it, it just destroys everything, and it, it completely destroys a person. And Solomon could probably also write this because he saw what his, his father did, his father David. You remember, uh, David, David messed up. David messed up big time. Um, but we see that, that David, you know, he, he repented, and God forgave him, um, but that didn't excuse him of, of consequences. You remember that? In the Old Testament, where, where David um, committed adultery with Bathsheba and that, that whole scenario. And, um, but basically, what, what, hap- what happened is that he was forgiven, right? But there was consequences that came with his sin. His family was torn apart. His, his kids were um, completely out of control. Um, his sons were just, just completely wicked. Um, his, his life really just unraveled before his eyes. Um, and David said that ultimately he had sinned against God, and that's what he had done. Now, we know what adultery is now, but I want to point out, how does adultery happen in, in this whole context? And, and how really, how, is this gonna, how does this apply to my life today? Well, and how adultery happens, it, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. But it happens over time. A husband or a wife begins to drift away in their relationship with God. And this is how it begins. It starts with a vertical relationship with God, which then affects the horizontal relationship with people. In applying this to ourselves, we can say, man, with sin. Not just adultery. None of us are married here um, that I know of. No, none of us are married here. And so let's just say sin. Sin in general. Sin, man, it, it separates you from God. It creates distance there. And Basically, when, when you're not walking with the Lord, it's, um, it's everything else is completely just like David. Like his whole family just unraveled. Everything was just unraveling before his eyes. And, and again, it, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. It's a thing that happens over time. Sin doesn't just happen necessarily, just happen like that in one decision. It's over time with decisions and, and um, a lack of character and a degrading of um, morality there. But we see that it starts on the vertical. Man, and I've noticed in my own life, man, I'll, I'll be the first to say I'm, I'm a sinner. <laughs> I 
constantly in need of a Savior. I, I need the grace of God, the mercy of God every single day. I need Jesus' blood to, to wash me, to cleanse me every day. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Um, that's just part of humanity, and that's um, something that the Lord is just constantly, through this process of sanctification, is working out in me to be um, more and more like Jesus in this process. But it, but it starts in the vertical and if what happens on the vertical, like we were saying, if, we, if we're not seeking the Lord, if we're not seeking him early in the morning, if we're not seeking God, if we're not spending time in prayer, man, that affects the rest of our life. It completely just wrecks the horizontal, the relationships that we have with people. And if you've spent any time in sin, man, you know that this is true. This is the case. That not only it separates me from God, but really it separates me from other people. And what we see here is that really there's this moral decay, that there's no more fear of God. And the visual then, then, then turns into emotional, which then turns in, into the physical. This is this process, this downward spiral that happens with sin. And what happens with this type of sin, adultery, is what we're speaking of. We see that today. This is an epidemic in our world today. Families are torn apart. Generations are then affected because families are torn apart. We see that this is all because of one man or one woman's sin. One decision can lead to really a, a, a family torn apart, a, a generation then affected, you know? Uh, many times with sin, although we, we, we don't take into consideration how it will affect everybody else, Adultery is not the unpardonable sin. Um, you can be forgiven of it. That's, that's a blessing, you know, with this. Um, but many times it is an unrepairable sin. Uh, because of the damage that it does to the lives that are affected by it. And really, it's, it's not worth it. When you think about sin, when you're on, you weigh on a scale, man, sin compared to, man, following Jesus. It's, man, you... With sin, and, and this type of sin, you, you really have everything to lose. Um, there's nothing really that you have to gain um, in this. You know, you, you lose your family. You lose um, any sort of, of character. One, it's interesting, with, with the guys that are on staff here at the church, we've kind of been talking, and, and um, we meet Wednesday, Wednesday nights before church, and we just kind of go over um, some stuff, and we're kind of being discipled by some of the pastors here, and, and we were talking about, character and, and what character means um, for a believer as well as just a person in general, for a human being. Um, and a lot of times we see that character over time is built um, with this, this slow process, just time, with this process of sanctification and, and the Lord just doing this work in us. That's, that's character. But in one decision, our character can, can be completely flatlined. With one decision that will affect not only ourselves, but those around us. And I feel like that's a great deception. We think that our sin only affects us and it doesn't affect other people. I've thought that. That that's been the case in, in my life. That this, this is just me. This is just here. This is just my thing that nobody else sees. God sees it, but no, nobody else. This, this, it, it, it does. It affects other people. My sin doesn't just affect me, but affects other people. It's not worth it. And we see here that adultery will destroy like no other sins really, like no other sins can. But the religious leaders at this point thought they had Jesus caught, right? They present this situation, they present this question, they say, hey, this is what the law says. But notice the response of Jesus. Well, rather, if Jesus said, don't put her to death, right? He could have said that, don't put her to death. They could say, then see, he violates the law. This law that has been put in place by God, that was given to Moses, 
the Ten Commandments. But on the other hand, if Jesus said, put her to death, they could accuse him before Rome and say, hey, you, you can't do that. According to law, according to um, authority, you, you, can't, you can't put her to death. And so really, they, they, they felt like they had him on, on the, the horns of a dilemma. They felt like they had him at this point. And really, you think about what could Jesus say back? What could Jesus say back to that? And really, it's not necessarily what he said, but it's, it's more so what we'll see what he was writing. Notice in verse 6, Jesus' response. It says, They said, testing him that he might have something which to accuse him. But notice, Jesus, I love this, but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. When they asked him, it seems as if Jesus just completely ignored them at this point. I think this is hilarious. Jesus just, he just, all right, cool. Like, doesn't say anything and just goes down and, and just starts to write in the ground. Maybe he has a stick or maybe it's just his finger. He's writing in, in, in the dirt there. And it seems as Jesus just ignores them. But Jesus just, he just started writing, writing in the sand, writing in the dirt. But what was, what was Jesus writing? The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us what he wrote um, some people say perhaps Jesus was writing the names of the religious leaders before him, and next to their names, the sins that they have committed from oldest to youngest. <clears throat> um, other people have said that perhaps um, Jesus wrote Jeremiah 17.13. What is Jeremiah 17.13? It says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me will be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters." Notice in John 37 as well. John 37, 38, it says, On the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the religious leaders, we see, they, they really, and Jesus speaking of himself here as, as that in, in, in chapter 7, speaking of living water. He says, If, if, if anyone thirsts, come unto me. Why? Because I, I have living water that I want to just pour out before you. We see in, in John chapter 4 when he's, when he's talking to the, um, the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman, talking about living water and where it's found. It's found in him, in Jesus. And so we see that the religious leaders, they had rejected the one who was the fountain of living waters, as Jeremiah said there. And as they rejected the fountain of living waters, and here he is writing their names in the earth. And, and perhaps more important than what Jesus wrote on the ground, you know, is, is what Jesus said. And we see in verse 7, we see his response. So he writes in the ground, and then we see his response under the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Verse 7 says, when, So when they continued uh, asking him, he raised himself up, and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, He who is without sin. And if you're a Christian here today, really you know that there's, there's only one person in this scene that's, that's taking place here, the scenario that's going down. There's, there's one person that's without sin, and that's Jesus in this situation. Jesus wasn't suggesting, though, that the judges, these men, were to be perfect. There's no perfect um, no perfect man. Uh, but Jesus was saying, whoever is sinless, let him cast the first stone. And look at verse 9. 
It says, Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. After Jesus made that statement, one by one, people started leaving, the oldest to the youngest. These men were ready to, uh, to put this woman to death for her sin. They're ready to stone her. It is, is important for us as believers um, in how, really, we, we, we handle other people's sin. These guys were ready just to, just to stone her right there, to put her to death. The Bible says that we are to seek to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness, lest you also be tempted. When we see someone trapped in sin, we should seek to minister to them in such a way that shows the love of God and that leads them to repentance. We ought to remember, really, who we used to be when we were without Jesus and should seek to be loving and gracious. Man, we need to be careful in how we handle other people's sin, how we handle other um, believers, how we handle somebody else's sin. Because, man, these, these, these men, they're ready to put this woman to death. And if, again, going back to, to thinking about yourself, man, when you think about what Jesus has saved you from, if, if you have, um, let's say, like a testimony, like the Lord's, the Lord's brought you um, out of darkness into light, like that's, that's your testimony, where God has just completely washed you clean, you know? Um, hopefully, for most of you, like that's, that's not the case. Um, but if it is the case, man, the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, cleanses you from all sin. The, the Bible says that, the Lord seeks to, um, or he does, he, he forgets your sin. He says um, in his word that he casts your sin as far as the east is from the west and, and remembers it no more. And so for those of us that, man, we, we, we're sinners. All of us here, we're sinners. But man, it's, it's cool to think back like, Lord, I remember what you saved me from. I remember the work that you did in my life, the fact that you brought me out of darkness and into light. And we'll see that later. Jesus says that in the last verse here in this section. But man, in dealing with other people's sin, in dealing with other believers, man, it should be out of love. It shouldn't be out of, of hatred. Because man, it's so easy when you see somebody else's sin, it's like there's, there's almost like a mirror that kind of points back at you. And you see yourself. If you see the sin and you're like, oh, I know that. Why, why do you know that? The reason being because you've, you've been in that place. And so therefore, we should be gracious. Why? Because God, because Jesus has been gracious with us. Because of the cross of Jesus, therefore, we should be loving in dealing with other people's sins. And, and, and again, no, no doubt this woman was embarrassed. She was ashamed. She was guilty, obviously. She knows what she had done. She has sinned, and according to the law, she, deser she deserves judgment. But what Jesus did next, I don't think she was expecting whatsoever. Notice with me in verses 10 and 11, the forgiveness of Jesus, the forgiveness of sin that Jesus brings. It's a beautiful thing. Verses 10 and 11. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, uh, in verse 10, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In verse 10, I love that it says that Jesus looked. He saw the woman. He saw where she was at. He saw her. We notice in, um, 
Also in John chapter 4, when, he, when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, it says that he, he saw her. He saw her. He, he confronted her. He went up to her. Um, even with the cultural differences that were there between the Samaritans and the Jews, he went up to her. He saw her. With this woman, same exact thing. We notice um, within the gospel, um, after Peter denied Jesus, Jesus looked at Peter, and, and their eyes met. They, they locked eyes. Um, and it says that, that, that Jesus, it was, it was like this penetrating look that Jesus saw into Peter and, and who he was in that moment. When Jesus saw the multitudes, you remember when he was feeding, the, um, when he went with a, to feed the 5,000 and to feed the people there. And just really when he saw the multitudes in general, people just be gathering around him. When he saw these people, he was moved, the Bible says, with compassion for these people. Because they, the Bible says they, they were like sheep without a shepherd, weary and scattered. And so likewise, we see that here, Jesus was looking at this, this woman. He, he wasn't looking at anybody else. He wasn't distracted with anything else that was going on. He was looking at this woman, focused on her in that moment and what she was going through, what the, this scenario that was happening. He was focused upon this woman. And I, I have to ask myself, how, how do you think Jesus was looking at this woman? And in looking at the passage and looking at this context and, and seeing this whole situation that's going down, I can't help but think, man, that, that Jesus looked at this adulterous one with, with eyes of compassion, with eyes of mercy, with forgiveness, with eyes of love. Man, and today, I can rest, rest assured in the fact that, man, that's, that's the same way that he looks at you and me today. That even though I've sinned, even though I've blown it, man, Jesus just comes into my situation, and he just completely just wipes my slate clean. <laughs> it just says, I love you. Last night, I got, to, I got the privilege, I had the privilege of teaching um, the third and fourth graders downstairs for, it wouldn't be Sunday school, it'd be Saturday school, but that doesn't really make sense. But anyways, taught the kids downstairs, and it was, it's so fun. When, when I teach the little kids, I feel like I can just be myself with them. And I just be like super silly, and like, like we... It was just, it was hilarious. Like, talking to the kids, like, what'd you do today? Nothing. Like, come on. Like, you didn't do it. These are, like, third and fourth graders. It's hilarious. Like, no way. They're like, okay, we played video games all day. I was like, okay, awesome. So you still did nothing. Anyways, but it's hilarious just what you're talking with them about and then seeing them worship. It's, it's just doing hand motions and all of that. But anyways, um, I love it. But we were talking, or I was sharing with them the other night about Samson. We were talking about who Samson was. They already knew the whole story. It was hilarious. I was like, you guys could probably teach this right now. But, and as I was sharing about Samson, and we were talking about the end of Samson's life. We know from, from the example of Samson and who he was, he was a sinner. We know that he was a Nazarite. That, he, that, that means that he couldn't cut his hair, um, that he couldn't, have, he, he couldn't have anything to do with wine. He couldn't have anything to do with um, dead things. And we, we know that um, you remember in the book of Judges, um, I believe it's 15, 14, 15, 16, I think it talks about um, Samson there, and it says that he touched the, the dead carcass of a, of a lion. We see that he was messing around with wine, and it just, he was, really this man was in sin, and then he was messing around with women, and we know um, from um, the book of Judges in that chapter that it talks about Delilah and this woman that was just not good whatsoever. And um, so it's crazy, we're talking about it in the, we, we, as um, children's ministry workers, we get this curriculum, and, and in, I was looking over the curriculum, and, and what it said was, like, the, there was a theme. Every time we teach, there's a theme in it. There's, like, this phrase, and uh, there's, there's a key verse, and there's a phrase, and the, and the phrase was, um, even though we make mistakes, 
um, God can still use us. And for me, being 21 years old, like communicating this to third and fourth graders, I was like, man, this is like, this is heavy stuff. Like, I need this. Like, man, like, forget the, not forget these kids, but it's like, man, like, this is, I need this too, you know? I need the exact same thing, man. It was encouraging for me in, in, in applying this today and, and looking at this woman. We'll notice that the, the Lord re- really restores this woman. He redeems her life. And again, I, I just got to think, man, that, that Jesus looked at this, this woman with, with the eyes of love, with compassion unto her. He, he saw what he could do with this woman, not her past, not what was there in the moment, but he saw the potential in this woman. He was not surprised by her sin. He's not surprised by our sin either. No matter how filthy we may be, he looks and continues to look at us. And, and the Bible says that he knocks and, and, and he keeps knocking and, and he waits for us to open the door so that he might come in and just restore us and cleanse us, as the Bible says, and wash us afresh. In the, in the, in the Psalms it says that the Lord des- desires to wash us whiter than snow, to just clean us from, from head to toe of our sin. No matter how filthy we are, man, God looks at us. He looks at our situation. He meets us there. Not only did he look at her, but we see that Jesus, Jesus spoke to her in the situation. And we see that there are many things that Jesus could have said that could have been justified. Man, Jesus, being the judge of all the earth, could have said many things that were true and that were right. But it says, instead, he asked her, where are your accusers? Where did they go? And she said, no there, there's, there's no one, Lord. They're, they're gone. No one, Lord. Something, obviously, a change in this woman. She says, no one, Lord. There had been this, this transformation within this woman's life, living this um, sketchy lifestyle to now, all right, this is, you're, you're my Lord. Jesus, I, I see you for who you are, and this, you know who I am. Therefore, I say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to serve you. And so we see that there's this obvious transformation that's happening within this woman. And Jesus answered her and said, Go and sin no more. Note this, the only one who had the right to condemn the woman didn't, but rather he forgave her. I think that's a beautiful thing. Why? Why did Jesus forgive her? Because in a matter of time, he would go out to the cross and he would die for her, die for her sin in a matter of time. Jesus wasn't soft concerning sin. We know that. He wasn't soft when it came to that, when he saw the, the sin of the Pharisees and, and their whole religiosity, he, he, he cut to the chase. He didn't, you know, go around the bush. He, he went straight through it, you know. Um, Jesus didn't say, it's cool. Go back to the way you used to live. It's fine. Um, go back to, uh, to how, you know, you, you were in sin. I got it covered. No worries. Jesus forgave her. But then we see that Jesus gave her an exhortation. He says, do not go back and sin anymore. Cut off that sin. Cut off that relationship. Sin no more. And this is where genuine, this is where genuine repentance comes in. I think I got some time. And genuine repentance is turning from sin. It's being confronted with it and then turning from it. Walking away from it and not going back to it. It's not being forgiven of it and then going right back to it. That is a misusing of the grace of God. We notice in the scriptures, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians. And going through 2 Corinthians, we talked about it, that Paul talks about there's, there's a way that you can misuse the grace of God. That is misusing the grace of God, where you see the grace of God, and you, you take hold of it. You say, Lord, thank you that I'm forgiven. Now I'm going right back into how I used to live. I'm going right back into my own sin. That's misusing the grace of God. Paul talks about that. 
But God saved us so that we would never have to go back to that. To be free is to repent and then never go back to the way it used to be. The Bible says the one that has been forgiven much, he loves much or she loves much. You can tell when it's real, when it's genuine. Jesus forgave this woman, but told her to never go back to the old life, to the way that she used to be. Romans 8.1 says, There's now, uh, now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. There is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Did you know that? condemnation and uh, conviction. Condemnation will always drive you away from the throne of grace. Condemnation comes in the form of, God, God can't forgive you. you, you you've crossed the line. You've, you've missed the mark. You, you can't go any further. And the, the enemy loves to do that. He brings in condemnation. That's, that's what he does best. Conviction, on the other hand. Conviction is the kindness of God which brings me back to the place of repentance it brings me to this place where I'm broken before the Lord and I, I desire to repent and get right with the Lord. There may be consequences of sin, yes, but there is now no condemnation, as Romans says, Romans 8.1, to those that are Christ and those that are his alone. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you. Man, it's, it's time to repent. It's time to turn from sin. The Bible says, man, turn from sin. Turn and live is what the Bible says. The Bible also says that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin. Not just some sin, all sin. The blood of Jesus uh, can cleanse us completely, no matter what it is. And basically, you have an option. You have an option today. One, you can either confess it to the Lord, or the second thing being, you, you, can, you can cover. You can cover your sin. Proverbs 28 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it will be shown mercy. Here is the blessing. Here is the blessing here. Here is the truth. It is, it is to come to the light and be right with the Lord and then to live in darkness and to not be right with the Lord. One of two options. It is better to confess it and be on your way to heaven, right, than rather cover it and, li- and, and really live a lie and be on your way to hell. You think about people that you may know. Um, that are unsaved. Man, that's, that's, their, that's their story. That's their life. Man, it's, they're living a lie and they're, they're on their way to um, eternal separation from God. It's a heavy thing. It's something that we're to take seriously and sin is to be taken seriously. Like this woman, though, all of us in some way have been caught in our own sin, haven't we? We deserve to be judged and we are guilty. Yet the only one who could judge us, right, Instead, he died for us. Jesus took our place so that we could never, or excuse me, that we would never have to be condemned. All of us were in darkness, but when you come to Jesus, you, 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 you really you come into the light. Repentance is the door from darkness into light. Repentance is the door from darkness into light. Notice with me in verse 12, wrapping up here. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Here we have the second of the seven I am statements that Jesus spoke of in the Gospel of John. The second, the first being that we already saw. The first was Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Now when Jesus says, I am, I am living water, I am the bread of life, 
I am the light of the world. Anytime Jesus says, I am, and we'll see he says through the Gospel of John, he says it seven times. Anytime Jesus says, I am, he is referring to the name of God that was first mentioned back in the book of Exodus. Remember there at, at, the, at the burning bush that um, Moses came before the bush and, and, and Moses is saying, Lord, I, I can't speak. And the Lord's saying, hey, you need to go to Egypt. He says, I can't speak. I, I, have a, uh, I stutter. I, I'm not good with my words. Um, and the Lord says, you know what, that's fine. Just say, I am has sent you. Moses asks, how, how are, what do I say? What, like, how is this going to happen? He says, tell them, tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. And so we see that in the book of Exodus, and this is what Jesus is referring to. And as Jesus here takes that title for himself and says, I am the light of the world, we see Jesus here, he's, he's claiming deity. He's claiming that he is God. He's saying, I am, complete, completely referring himself, like in the book of Exodus, to, to what God said. Jesus here is, is claiming his deity, really his, his immorality, being 100%, 100% man, yet 100% God. And again, I don't fully comprehend that. I don't know. 100%, 100%, isn't that 200%? Isn't like, that doesn't make sense. But 100% man, 100% God, fully man, fully God. And so Jesus, in sharing with this woman and sharing with these Pharisees, really out of love to see them converted, he says, I am the light of the world. The light of the world. He who follows me, it says in verse 12, shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And guys, in closing, I just want to say this. Um, man, that's for you today. Maybe, maybe, maybe you are lost in sin. Maybe it's like, maybe, maybe sin has, has, has gripped your heart and taken a hold of your life, and, and you don't know which way to go. You don't know how to get out. Maybe it's for another person that you're ministering to, you know? Um, and you're thinking, how, how, do I, how do I shine light, really, into this, this darkness, into this whole thing? Man, it's, it's, it's only by Jesus, man. The, the thing that we have to give people, the thing that we have to give our world, the thing, you know that the, the world is referred to as, as darkness. We live in darkness, the Bible says. But man, when you shine light on it, man, it's, it's amazing. The illumination that happens with just one light. And for us today, as Christians, this is, this, is our, this is how we're supposed to live. Like we said, we're supposed to be becoming more and more like Jesus. And, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Therefore, we're, we're like, you know, you know in, in Scripture where it says that they called themselves Christians? You know what a Christian was, that, that term? It was like, it was, it was a diss. It was a diss unto the believers at that time in the early church. It's like, you little Christians. That's what it was. It was... It was saying you're a little Christian. For, man, for us today, we should be little lights, really, of Jesus. Double L. Little lights of Jesus. We should be seeking to shine his light onto this dark world. That as Jesus, and again, this all tying into each other, man, as we're seeking Jesus, we're seeing the face of God, when, when, when we're seeking him in prayer, seeking him in his word, as he's speaking to us, man, we're, we're shining that same light onto other people. Last thing, you remember when, in uh, the book of Exodus where Moses, when he would meet with the Lord, when they were delivered out of Egypt, and then Moses said, Lord, I just, I, I got to see your glory, Lord. I just, and, and the Lord says on him, listen, no man, no man has ever seen my glory in its complete fullness and has ever lived. And so the Lord hides Moses in the cleft of a rock. You remember that, in the, in the side of a mountain. 
And then as he does that, Moses comes down off the mountain because he's up there by himself. And then Joshua was halfway up the mountain. So they walk down together and the people are freaked out. The people are like, oh my goodness, like what's, what, is, what happened to you? What's wrong with your face? Like he was glowing at this point. It says that he was glowing to the extent that he was like an angel. And so we see that Moses had to cover his face and then he would go and seek the Lord Veil is up. <laughs> He's worshiping before the Lord. Man, we, should, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't cover that, man. People should be um, man, blessed by the glow, um, by the image of, of Christ within our lives. Man, that should be the same exact thing in our lives and that we're seeking to do for other people, man. It's just to shine the light of Jesus. And that's the only thing that we can do in other people's sin and in, in in, in, in ministering to other people in their sin. Man, why? Because people are lost, man. People are on their way to hell without Jesus. And the only way to do that is through Jesus, not through some program. It's not through some, you know, whatever. And those things can be good at times, but man, if, if it's without Jesus, it's useless. Jesus has to be the one that is presented in those situations. And in closing, guys, like I said, for us too, the only thing that can minister to you individually in your life and your sin, if that's the case, because we're all sinners, right? Right. <laughs> Born with a sin nature. Man, Jesus is the only one that can completely transform you, completely cleanse you. That's the only way that we're going to be saved from our sin. The only way that we're going to be transformed by the renewing of and just the washing that Jesus brings, the, just the cleansing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's by the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.